Playback on RTE Radio 1. Sponsored by FexcoCurrency.com. Your route to great rate travel money at participating credit unions. Good morning. sorts of feelings, doesn't it? That's the sound of summer. That is the sound of the Irish summer. And it's like controversies, getting out, freshly mown grass, melted 99s, sun cream, Mm -hmm. and back in the day, Michael Lester appearing out of the television and (laughs) Joanne and Jackie and Des and other people have done it in recent years. It reminds me of being at home when you were at school, you know, and shh, shh. (laughs) The match is on. An opportunity, Kilkenny haven't got it away yet. Still there, down by the parallelogram. Who's looking to come away with it? TJ Reid has it. Reid pops the ball in the square. He's blown it up. The ball's in the net. The ball's in the net, but the referee blows it for a throw ball. Would you believe it? The ball ended up in the Wexford net, but he's given a free out for a throw ball by TJ Reid. 4.23 to 5.18. The amateur whistlers are out. It looks to be all over. Wexford are going to come out of it. Surely with their Leinster status intact, they do. It's all over. In the wall. Look what it means to Wexford. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable. 4-23, 5-18. I'm absolutely speechless. Dead's taken away. What a game of hurling. Get that man a cold compress and I'll lie down. That's Patrick Mulcahy on the Leinster hurling final, Wexford Kilkenny. And earlier, our Damien O'Mara with Claire on those sporting anthems synonymous with the sh- of a schlither going past your ear or the thwack of a tennis ball. All ahead of the Bank Holiday Monday special with the RTE Concert Orchestra. And this one. Shorthand for so many Sundays. You could play that to somebody who's no interest in Gaelic yeah. games and straight away. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a fantastic piece of music. Um, Jaeger La Time by, by James Last. Um, the programme which the orchestra are doing on Monday, we've got contributions from people who have a connection to some of these pieces of music. And to chat to, like we're working downstairs and you say to people, how did we come to use that piece of music? as the Sunday game. How has that become so... Yes, you're so figuring out why the characteristics of that yeah. piece fit for a sport. Because it fits brilliantly. Like, there's great energy to it. There's a couple of points at which the music climaxes that you can finish. The, like, they only play 37 seconds of it at the start of the Sunday game. But talking to people... That the last, old. Yeah. It's, well, they, they tell me downstairs it's officially 40 seconds, but it fades after 37 mm-hmm. seconds. I think if you said to most people who watch the Sunday game, how long is the theme tune at the start? Ah, oh, sure, two minutes, I, I, three minutes. That's the exact yeah. conversation I had with a colleague downstairs this morning. It must be 90 seconds. It must be two minutes. So who did you talk to? Who were your so, colleagues well, that you spoke to? Well, for this, there, there is no more iconic uh, feature of the Sunday game than Michael Lester, who anchored the programme for so many years. Um, he gets, I think, a little bit frustrated when people like me in my early 40s tell him, sure, I grew up watching you on the Sunday game. Um, so we've we've Joanne and Michael, um, both of whom it means 
tremendously different things. So Michael was the presenter of the programme when they adopted that theme tune. By pure chance, somebody in the office went, I really like this James last piece of music. I think this might work. So my understanding and certainly Michael's memory of it is that they had kind of bounced around with various bits of music because there was various different presenters in the early days and then when he took over. Um, it means so much to them and it has followed the two of them around. Joanne, obviously someone who would have grown up watching it like so many of the rest of us and Michael who was in the chair who will still tell you when he goes to airports when he goes to different venues there are still people who will approach him and say you'll never guess what my ringtone is Damien with Claire and that concert orchestra special a real treat this bank holiday Monday this week saw new 2022 census figures revealing Ireland in all its changes. A lot on this from many programmes, but we will go with Environment correspondent George Lee on Morning Ireland. We're at 5.15 million and we're getting more diverse and we're also getting older. Well, what it tells us, firstly, I think, is that we've been underestimating the growth in the population. Uh, that um, obviously we're getting a little bit older. 38.8 is the average age in the country. Uh, so it's gone up a little bit over six years uh, by 1.4 years. Um, and you can see that a lot of the growth in the population, it's in every single county. For the first time ever, the growth in the population, the dominant force has been inward migration. In nearly all counties, that has been the dominant force. An odd one or two where it has been naturally increased, but every county has also had natural increase. And that's unusual insofar as that it's the first time in the first census where we have uh, net inward migration into Ireland being bigger than natural growth in the population. So there's something attractive about Ireland. And I think that we should recognise that, that this isn't a bad place to live. And a lot of people will be pretty happy to come here, despite us knocking ourselves all of the time. But what it does show is that there's greater growth in the eastern counties, uh, that there's greater population pressures coming than we ever expected. And with all of these changes, how are we fixed in terms of our hospitals? One of the things which is striking is that the big bulk of population is the age of 40, 42. It's moved up and up and up. It's getting getting older and older. It doesn't take long before those people reach retirement age. Health considerations, hospital needs, they all start to grow after that age. And so all hospitals, there just will not, there are not enough services in the hospital system for what seems to be coming through, and particularly if we've underestimated the growth in the population. Like we say, it's fascinating stuff. And finally, if you feel that the race to the desk is getting earlier and earlier, sleeping in your suit and tie, you are not wrong. The number of people getting up earlier and earlier and earlier to get to work. You find that the number of people getting up before 6.30, hitting the road before 6.30 is up 25% or thereabouts. The number of people hitting the road for the next half hour is up nearly 50%. Right, so, so the, the people who get up oh, early in the morning, um, there are a lot of them out there. It's a mad race to get to work. You can see that in the transport. You can see that in, in the congestion. You can see wherever people are, are going and travelling for their work. You can, and, and on that, it is worth noting that wherever that tra- traffic is, if you look at the population growth and if we've under estimated it and if it's all oriented towards the east part of the country it really is important to go back and have a look and make sure that the development of the regional cities uh, apart from Dublin is is progressed. George Lee crunching those numbers for Morning Ireland but something not covered in the census but pretty much a given our obsession with the weather and on Thursday the news that Evelyn Cusack of Met Aaron was retiring at Biggie which did not stop Gavin Jennings putting the thumbscrews on her 
It's the first day of summer. It's sunny. It has been all week and it's going to stay that way for a while. Evan Cusack is here. She's head of forecasting at Met Air. Evan, what's the weather looking like for the weekend? Well, uh, as you heard Brandon there, our, our colleague at 5 to 8, it's actually looking sunny and it's not often we can say that about Erin. But not only will it be sunny for this weekend, it's looking good for all of next week as well. So good news. Today is the first day of summer officially, so 1st of June. And how long is all this going to last? Uh, well, for next week anyway, I'm not, you're not going to push me anymore now. Oh, I, I know you're, har- you're hard interviewers here <laughs> in Morning Ireland, but I'm not following you. Answer the question. Track. Are we going to have a good summer or not? <laughs> What's it, do, do you know what it's looking like for the rest of the summer? We don't forecast uh, for the summer, Gavin. Back off, Gavin. Back off. Okay. We, we, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of relatively good summers recently. Do you think that that's what's in store for us over the next few years uh, or, or into the future? Well, actually, just today we're launching, uh, we've launched on our website a new summer centre. So hopefully that's an optimistic sign. Uh, look, it's, it's all to play for. Our modelling indicates that uh, summers will be getting drier, uh, which is sort of bad news in one sense because it could lead to more droughts. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> it's... You know, it's uh, it's all to play for at this stage. It's certainly a possibility. But not confirmed. However, she did take us all back with these meteorological highs and lows, mainly lows in fairness, calamity upon calamity. My most immediate memories, I suppose, are the last five years when I, I moved to my present role. And it started off with a bang, really, with Hurricane Ophelia on the 16th of October in, what, 2017. Um, and, you know, and that was the first time we, we issued a status red for the whole country. And, in fact, Ireland closed down that day and there was sort of uproar from the shops and everything. But little did we know what was to come, you know, with COVID. Course, so yes. th- that was, our, that was the, really, uh, as the late Queen said, that was the beginning of my Annus Horribilis in weather terms because it started off with Ophelia. Then we moved into February and we had the beast from the east meets Emma uh, on the 1st of March 2018 and said, OK, that's grand now, Evelyn, we'll, we'll all calm down. And in fact, it was followed by a beautiful summer <clears throat> in 2018. And unbelievably, we all met Sean Hogan and all the lads, we all met in the NECG because there was a drought and there was a lot of fires, gorse fires, and we were literally afraid Bray was going to burn down. So that's, we love, this, we love fine weather but that was a consequence. So that was a, that's grand now. We're, we're, we're settling in. And then we went to the ploughing championships in 2018. And I was there the first day and met her and we had issued status yellow warnings for wind, which, you know, they're bad, but they're not sort of crazy. But then I looked around at the thousands and thousands of tents and I was thinking, oh my gosh, 80 kilometre per hour or 100 kilometre per hour winds and a tented village. So I had to call uh, Mrs. McHugh and like we had some very strong words. I had to stay overnight yes. in Tullamore. And then uh, at 6am I was collected to give a big briefing. I mean, it was very stressful really because it was flat, calm. And they were saying, you've closed down the ploughing, where's the wind? But thankfully from my point of view, it whipped up and, you know, a lot of things were flattened. And, you know, if they hadn't made that decision, it would have been very serious. So, you know, fair juice. And given the yellow and red warnings we're all so fond of, are people a little bit, well, disgruntled, disappointed even, if it doesn't come to pass?
as a forecaster, you know, you want you want your forecast to work out. So you want the bad weather. But then, of course, you want the citizens to be safe and you don't want anyone injured. The last thing we want to do is sort of cry wolf, you know, and that's the whole thing about naming storms. It's been very successful. But I'll throw this back at you. I mean, you guys go crazy the few days before we name storms because, uh you know, like we appreciate the the media spreading the word because we want to get our mess our messaging out. We want to get our safety messaging, but you know, it's a forecast. It's very hard to predict impacts. So, you know, if we name the storm four days ahead, like. It's a media, it literally is a media storm and then everybody is expecting Armageddon and thankfully not every part of Ireland tends to get hit, you know. So it, from that point of view, say, what are you on about? Sure, it was grand today. It was only a bit windy. So I feel like saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know, your house wasn't blown down. But, you know, that's somebody saying that now. Ah, the great Evelyn Cusack on Morning Ireland. But if it is fine where you are, sit back and enjoy the sunshine. Or not. Uh, it's too hot, Ray. Give me a dry, cool day anytime. Ah, Jared and Clonakilty, lighten up. Uh, I said that it was a beautiful day to a lady yesterday, and her response was, We'll pay for it, Jared. <laughs> I love every every silver lining has a cloud in Ireland, isn't it? It's, it's great. I, I love it. You just can't win. Back in a bit. Welcome back. How dare you, you say that? The finger you and I That is TD Michael Collins responding to being described as an organic farmer by the Minister of State of the Department of Agriculture, Pippa Hackett. And in the great annals of parliamentary insults, it might be a first. Paul Hosford, political correspondent for the Irish Examiner, got soil certified with column on late debate. Yeah, I, I remember being here about two years ago now and we discussed the, the things that you can and can't say in the doll and organic farming communist. Is, is not on the list. Yeah, you can't, you can't call people communists or, or blackguards or... or uh, gutter snipe. Gutter snipe it has been referenced 14 or 15 times. But organic farmer is not there. Um, but it did lead to the doll being suspended twice this evening, which is, uh, I suppose, a, a new one. I am not an organic not farmer. Correct the record of the dog, please. Correct the record. Excuse me, I have to correct this, this, the, the minister. Previously as well. You, and correct it both times, because you check the records, I'm not. And the only way you've known this is previously when I was, your husband inspected my farm. And on that basis, you're using that private information. You're using that private information from the organic trust to point the finger at me. I am not. You you proved to me. Prove to me what you said. I have every right, I have every right to question what has been a total mistruth inside the Resume your seat for a Yes, sir. Resume your seat. We're not going to have this interaction. You beg the indulgence of the doll to make a clarification. You've made that clarification. What you say? Yes, sir. No, sir. No, no, no. Resume your seat. Sit. Stand up inside. I have to defend my colleague. I have to defend my colleague. Because you cannot have a situation where a person would use private information. You don't resume your seat. I'm going to suspend. No, no. But I have to. No, no. The minister can't use that private information. No. I'm going to say the doll is No, no. The minister am I organic is farm, you're not. That's what you said I was. I am not. The doll is suspended. The minister used private information. From the doll on Wednesday. 
with Claire, a discussion on calorie counts for menus in pubs and restaurants. But their focus then turned to portion size because, let's face it, we are a bit of a greedy guts. We do like more. She was joined by Dr. Donal O'Shea, HSE National Clinical Lead on Obesity, and Anthony Morrison, owner of Christie's Bar in Kilkenny. What's that tiny little thimble size thing you've brought in, Donald? Uh, this is all the way up from the O'Donnell farm in Care, and it's my sister-in-law's 1970s, her parents' wine glass. Mm-hmm. And it's tiny. If you Honestly, if you got that at a dinner table, you'd take a look and say, is that... Is that really for wine or is it for sherry? I have a number of glasses here which are filled with a non-alcoholic substance. What I have here is a standard glass which is 107 mils. That is one seventh of a bottle. Now that represents a standard unit. It looks, I mean, if you got that in a restaurant or, or in a bar, you, you might complain. Yeah, you'd, you'd be unhappy uh, with it, correct. Uh, Anthony, and yet it's the standard measure and it's about 85 kilocalories. OK, so that is, the st- when we're talking about standard units that yeah. you should have, that re- represents one of them. Anthony, do you know off the top of your head how many millilitres are in a standard glass of wine that you would serve? So we, we've, we have large bottles, 750 mil, and we have the quarter bottles. So the quarter bottles would probably be our predominant seller. They're 187 mil. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this here. That, 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 yeah, that looks like a substantial glass of wine. So that's a quarter bottle. Yeah. And that would represent then close to two units, wouldn't it? This one here. Yes. Two, so right. two units in, in that. The next one I have here is a large glass of wine, which is 250 mils. That would constitute a quarter of a bottle. Now, that's a very large glass of wine, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that that, that is a third of a... That's a third bottle, of a bottle, yeah. yeah. It's a, a little more than the quarter bottle. I'll hand that over to you there as well, Donal. And then I have this old-fashioned champagne glass, which is 85 millilitres. Is that around about where we should be? Yeah. A lot of detail and measurement, but the main takeaway, we're glugging it out of wellies. And when it comes to supersizing, oh yes, please. But this is symptomatic, Donald, of the problems that we find ourselves in when we all expect to get a great big glass of wine or a great big glass that is half filled with two units of alcohol as opposed to one. And and it's beside a dinner plate that uh, is uh, two inches in diameter bigger than the dinner plates back in the 70s. -hmm. So everything has got bigger. And there's this concept of portion disproportion where we've completely lost uh, sight of what was uh, a serving. Go large. All the offers that are, you know, the, the fast food companies are go large for uh, an extra euro. But our perception of a, a measure or a serving has changed because we look at your small glass from the 70s, which is what we're told a standard drink is now, today. Correct. We're looking at that and we're saying, that's not enough. Yeah. You send that back. Yeah, you would. Greedy little monsters that we are. And then later in the week, in a not entirely unrelated topic, Claire was joined by Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly, who had this to say on advertising for alcohol-free beers. I think it's quite cynical. You know, I was at I was at the the Leinster match uh, just a few weeks ago, and the shops you walked into had zero zero everywhere. It was on the pitch. You know, and the whole point of the alcohol advertising bans was to decouple that link, particularly for kids. There's a lot of kids at those matches or watching those matches. My own kids were at home watching that watching that match. I don't want my kids and parents do not want their children watching these brilliant sports events uh, with alcohol advertising on the pitch. I believe, rightly or wrongly, I believe that it is a it is a way of 
It is a way of advertising that may be still compliant with the legislation, but is certainly not in the spirit, in, in my opinion, of the so legislation. So they're surreptitiously advertising their full alcohol brands. Well, certainly what I can say is I, I don't think what's happening uh, is acceptable. And I'm taking advice on on what we do about it. Are there days numbered? Well, fast forward to drive time and a debate on exactly that. With Sarah Cormacheely, Director of Drinks Ireland and Dr Sheila Gilhini, CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland. Sheila tweeted pictures earlier, I don't know if you saw it, but she did, um, of the Heineken Cup, uh, Champions Cup final. I have pictures of it up here on my screen of what she tweeted. And all I see in the background is Heineken. I don't see a Heineken 00 or anything like that. I just see the Heineken brand. Very uh, Heineken 00 is on the right-hand side, but along uh, the, the side of the pitch, it just says Heineken. And then she has tweeted another picture of Guinness um, on the pitch. And it, all I can see is Guinness and the harp and the 00 if you squint. You yeah, can see it. I think it, I mean, Sarah, over, it, it's over the top for Alcohol Action Ireland to be saying that this is, you know, targeting children. That's just totally, you know, disingenuous. I mean, to an industry. Yes, we have recognised brands and are extremely proud of them. This industry and the drinks industry has, has a long, long tradition in Ireland, uh, a major part of the overall uh, of the overall economy, huge exports. Uh, and we have recognised brands. Yeah. But I mean, these are offerings that are within, within all of the rules. And we have some of the strictest legislation is in the world. Is it within the spirit of the legislation? Absolutely. Do you, do you genuinely think well, that? Well, do you genuinely think that an offering that is zero, zero, that is quality and that is growing is something that but encourages the, but moderation. But the point I'm making to you is just in these pictures that Sheila has tweeted, just the two pictures, two examples, I don't see zero, zero. I see Guinness and I see Heineken. Well, I, I think that's just that's just one example and I haven't two. seen the particular, two, well, two, but I mean, I haven't seen those particular ones and I'm sure Sheila took the, the best advantage that she could of, of those pictures. The, the point is that we have very, very strong legislation. We have something that is offering moderation, balance, choice mm. for consumers. And we're actually looking to shut it down. I mean, how over the top is that? Well, Sheila Galhini did not agree. No, we haven't been talking about shutting anything down. We've been saying that this product, zero alcohol uh, products, they are no ordinary product. It's not the same as advertising a soft drink. And what we're saying is that it should be subject to the same advertising restrictions as alcohol is. I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to be asking. But they're not the same as alcohol, are they? They're not no, alcohol products. No, they're not. But neither are the ordinary soft drinks either. So, for example, they're definitely not suitable for under 18s, although there's nothing on them to say that they're not suitable for under 18s, even though the industry say they're not marketing to it. But there's no label on it that says not for under 18s. And there's no legislation to actually say that they can't be sold to, to under 18s. Would it be okay, Sheila, if they had different branding? That would be one approach and that's actually what's done in Norway, for example, where alcohol advertising is completely banned there and if you want to advertise a zero alcohol product it has to have a completely different brand. Cormac, would that not be fair enough? Well, well, no, I don't know. I mean, Norway is an outlier. That's absolutely the case. I mean, and I mean, if you look at the statistics behind Norway, I don't think alcohol consumption is actually falling. I mean, it's one of the places that has very strict regulation but it isn't falling. There are rules already in place, significant rules around where it can be advertised. Mm. Both the, the ASAI, the, uh, the Advertising Standards Authority of Ireland it's and the but the whole point about this is that the drinks industry is being accused of getting around those and, rules. Well, well, just because somebody, uh, you know, that, that organisations that ultimately want, want no drinking want to call these things out, it doesn't there, mean that doctors, it's, it's right. There's doctors, lobby groups and there's the and, Minister for Health. And the Minister and the Minister for Health also talked about taking, you know, I mean, in, in some of the other points he talked about, a harmonised approach in Europe in, in all of these things. Well, mm. this isn't something that's happening. From drive time. Over on Liveline, the father to be omitted at your pearl. Kiva Nirigan. Kiva, good afternoon. 
hide out, are you? If we're making a movie about this uh, item, it would be called In the Name of the Father. What happened? <laughs> so, um, well, I was booking a trip there recently abroad um, where I booked out with Ryanair and back with Erlingus. Okay. And I hadn't booked with Erlingus for a while and my surname has a number of fathers in it. Um, and I know that Erlingus has been asked in the past to improve their booking system to be able to accommodate fathers. But um, it's still not catering mm-hmm. for uh, my Irish name. And so I put a tweet up on it um, and it got quite a lot of traction. So it's not just me who would like Erlingus to improve their booking system. So Erlingus don't recognise the father. What happens if they don't recognise the father? Uh, you just have to take it out. Oof, Fossuk in the extreme, because a name without its father can change everything. Rossa O'Snudig was billed as Ireland's expert on the father. Rossa, what difference does a father make? What difference? It makes all the difference. Okay. <laughs> so, well, if you take it up, if you put it on names, and I'll just, I'll just go through the political, but if you put it on names, right, poor old Orla. Orla, if she's written without a father, that's the father on the O, uh, would be vomit in Irish. So oh, all luck. Orlas out there, get the father on top of your O, I would say, very okay. quickly. Uh, otherwise, because the O it means golden princess or the golden sovereign and such. So Maeve, you know that lovely name Maeve? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, re spelt now. It used to be M M E D B D H B H. It's being spelt as M E for the A B H now. And uh, but if you spell it as M E A B H, it means hen. But uh, otherwise, it would mean the woman who would intoxicate men. Golly, a heads up for all the maves out there. And then Marion got in touch. She had written to the Sunday Times a few years ago to point out their lack of fathers. Well, they will put fathers on some things, others not so much. It's complicated. Every Sunday, Hall gets his father because they will put fathers on the person's name. But oh, Fianna, Fáil, Fianna Fáil every single week because they won't put the father on Oh, Paul. Fianna Fáil don't uh, get their father. No, so they get a Fianna Fáil. Sinn Féin don't get their father on the E. The Dáil doesn't get a father on the A. Era doesn't get a father on the E. And all of those words. So I very kindly got a hold of the Mother Folklore. The Mother Folklore? The Mother Folklore is a lovely book that explains the Irish language. And so I sent a copy of that to the then editor of the Sunday Times. I'm talking maybe four or five years ago. And needless to say, I never got a Gaurav Mahagat or any uh, response from anybody. They know where it is on the typewriter, but they just won't put it in for words that are Irish language words, nouns, that they think don't need a father. The Forgotten Fathers from Liveline. Now, if you are washing your hair, do shampoo it twice. It is a game changer, apparently. Angie Drumgool and Richie from Zeba Hairdressing got the full rinse treatment from Cormac and Sarah. So what have I been doing wrong? <laughs> so, um... <laughs> where, where, should she, where should she start, Cormac? Where should I start? Sorry, Angie. Explain the, explain the double sham- shampoo concept to me, first of all. Okay, so the double shampoo concept, I guess, particularly in the case of ladies' hair, the double shampoo, where you might use products in your hair, styling cream in your hair, um, we would always recommend a double shampoo because the first shampoo is really just kind of taking that layer off and the second shampoo is really sort of cleansing down into the scalp and the hair then. But when we're shampooing, it's mm. actually our scalp we're shampooing, not our hair as such. That will sort of trickle down into it then when you shampoo the scalp. Okay. You can hear he's taking notes. But then the conversation turned. 
Because, I mean, some men, I, I know plenty of them, actually use um, body wash as their shampoo. Like, it's sort of like an all-in-one <gasps> bottle for everything. How do you know that? Yeah. How do you I, know I, that I about men? How do I Hang know? On, what sort of a nonsense I live with three of them. I know I mean, an like... awful lot of men who use body wash. What do you to go around <laughs> straw-polling men? No, I, like, no. <laughs> Sorry. Nonsense. Sorry, Angie. I have can heard I, can that, I take, can I do... Can I tackle the expert yeah. here on this? Well, I, I'm she was sorry just about to answer my question. I'm sorry to do this. That's a nonsense question. Can I... So, I'm sorry to do this, Angie. I don't believe uh, about the necessity of shampooing twice. Well, I don't believe it. Oh, the temptation to make personal comments are no. strong. <laughs> Again, I'd have to say it depends on the texture of your hair, how often you're shampooing your hair. That is a big play in it. For a male, if he's shampooing his hair every day, probably one shampoo will be sufficient. I wonder, could it be propaganda and advertising from the shampooing companies to say that you have to do it twice? No, definitely not. Um. <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, this. Richie, can I ask you just while we have you there, have you ever heard of men using body wash as shampoo? I have, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it. And sometimes it tends to leave residue, mm-hmm. which uh, isn't good. Vindicated. Back in a bit. Welcome back. What do you think of when you hear AI? Is it the algorithm or something else? Oliver Parler makes you think of milking cows. I'm the same with AI. Yes, this is me too. I think of artificial insemination when I hear it. This is this is true. All you know, all the artificial intelligence going on. I'm just hearing AI, AI. All I know about is the AI man. Sorry, I finished the text. The vet is calling to us today in County Meath, says Bernadette. Yeah, when we were kids, Bernadette, um, the AI man would come and we were fascinated with the AI man because parents would start whispering about the AI man. And then you just want to know everything about the AI man. And why is the AI man coming at a strange time of the day? We have to bring the cow back for the feed or leave the cow there after milking. They go into the barn and the AI man comes out sort of flustered because there's children around. And then uh, you go in and you, it's the, it was all, it was it was amazing mystery. And now the mystery is something we cannot unthink of when we hear all the debates about AI. And that is what happens when you let cultures on the radio. However, AI, yes, the algorithm kind, turned up on a rather unlikely programme this week on Tuesday's Arena. It concerned an image that was AI generated and included in the Royal Hibernian Academy's annual exhibition. And that had caused some ructions in the art world. Abigail O'Brien is president of the RHA and was chair of the six-person selection panel. The exhibition is open to artists, professionals, amateurs. But there are those that argue that artificial intelligence is the outright enemy of art and aims to replace artists. Is that a concern? Before we get into the specifics of this piece, is that a concern that you've heard before and that is one of your own concerns? It's not a concern of mine. I think that artists will always find ways of making uh, their point of view visible. I'm sure it's something that we have to talk about and and there will be arguments on both sides. But I, I really think that fear is a black hole. And people have feared things in the past about, you know, art making practices that really haven't had the um, the detrimental effect that people um, described them having mm. at the time. Now, the RHA received 4,700 submissions, which they then whittled down to 380 and all of the work was judged anonymously. This AI image is called Throwback Selfies Magdalene by David Lester Mooney and we see four very similar looking young women in period dress staring out intently. And given that the subject matter is women kept in Magdalene laundries, Sean put this to Abigail O'Brien. 
And the accusations then that have been made in and around bad taste are that the subject matter has been treated uh, irreverently in some way. What's, what's your reaction to that? Well, I certainly don't see it as irreverent. I think the artist has taken something that is profoundly uncomfortable and is actually offering us up a way of looking at it in today's context in terms of how we as women can live our lives in, in, in great freedom. What was, yeah. the, what was the panel's initial reaction then when you saw the particular image that we're talking about here, throwback selfies Magdalene? Well, my memory of it is that it got a very strong reaction from all six of us and that we all said yes to having it in for the short um, list selection. Now then the work comes through to the, the gallery then. The artists bring their work in and we look at it uh, in the round, if you like. So it's not like going on a blind date. We can actually see what we're getting. So the, um, the artist in question here then, David Lester Booney, mm-hmm. did he come in in person with this image? No, I don't believe he did. I think, as far as I understand, um, it was brought in by his printers. At what point did you realise that this image had been generated by artificial intelligence? Um, I, I didn't realise it until it had been accepted. And your reaction at that point? Uh, my reaction at that point was really um, intrigue and interest. And, um, you know, let's, uh, this is going to be probably something that will, you know, create a bit of discussion. Uh, certainly, I didn't imagine it would be as, um, uh, the, the hullabaloo would be as great as it is now, today on Twitter and, and, and such like Um But yeah, I mean, this is the future, isn't it? AI is coming. We can't stop it. Um, No matter who wants to protest against it, it's here. Abigail O'Brien of the RHA with Sean on Arena. Worth heading along, checking it out yourself. But with Ray, a man who might protest, screenwriter and filmmaker Charlie Kaufman. You will know him from Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, being John Malkovich and more recently, I'm thinking of ending things with our own Jesse Buckley. And if you've seen his films, I think it's fair to say, not a writer drawn to a conventional narrative arc, middle, beginning, end, beginning again. So what does he make of AI? I have a lot of fear uh, about it. I mean, in in, in, in every realm, mm. uh, but yes, for the type of work that we do. And I do think that, again, I feel like the reason that AI could replace us is because we've allowed ourselves to become a version of AI. Uh-huh. You know, we write what they tell us to write. Mm. Uh, we write, you know, what AI does is it looks into sort of precedent and history and pulls out a story, you know, and pulls out dialogue. And that's what we're basically asked to do. We're asked to do formulaic work. And so we can be replaced uh, by AI if we continue to do that work. But if we do human work, if we do things that are felt um, and, and, um, and believed and reflect our experience, I don't think that we can be replaced by AI because AI is a non-thinking, non-feeling, non-entity, you know? Yeah. It's, a, it's a database. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. and it, will, it will never love, it will never die, it will never feel anything. It'll never be depressed. It can only replicate. It'll never be depressed. It'll never be depressed. No. no, it'll never be depressed. It'll never hallucinate. You know, all of these things. Well, they that are... say that it hallucinates, but I don't think it's hallucination the way we experience it uh-huh. as people. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't I, I, I don't think because it's not a it's not a it's not a living being. 
but could he pass the newly minted AI test? You know, if you read a really good poem, I, I feel like that's what AI cannot do. Cannot do, yeah. Is, yeah. You know, yeah. and if it could do it and it could fake it in a reasonable way, I would be suspicious of it. It wouldn't move me. If I'm moved yeah, by a yeah, poem, yeah, yes, yeah. It's because I know that the poet but, but has the experienced thing, something. But here's the thing, Charlie. Yeah. You know, in a, in, a, in a sort of a blind taste test, or the you know, the equivalent of whatever the poetry equivalent is, you know, I suppose we would like to think we could spot something that was written by AI and and by a human being. But could we? That's the that's the thing. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I suspect that we could. Right. Okay. I, certainly at this point we could, but right. um, yeah, of course, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, haven't, yeah, yeah. I haven't taken that test. Okay. Right, right. Charlie Kaufman with Ray AI, nothing if not confusing. For Claire, John Cook roamed the streets of Killarney to ask about the new busking laws from Kerry County Council. Noisy amps, no sir. Late night sing-songs, I'm afraid not. And Wonderwall on repeat, broaden that repertoire, boys. He went looking for opinions, but he found a singer. I'm from Tipperary and I love listening to the Bursars in Killarney. We love Killarney. We were down to see Marco last night and I sit forever listening to that man. My favourite song is... Go on, tell me. <laughs> Give me a bar of it. I can't think of it now. <laughs> Oh my God, I'll be back to you in a second. They're bringing in permits that they don't play too many repetitive songs, that they don't use any foul language. What do you think? Well, fair enough, no foul language, but he's doing no harm there. You know, it's nice to hear the music in the street on a fine day. It's it's a part of what we are. Come to Killarney and listen to people singing along the streets has been there for years. No, leave them well enough alone. Did that song come back to you yet? Uh, An appropriate (laughs) song for that man. Don't look so sad. (laughs) I know it's over. But life goes on. And this old world will keep on turning. Lay your head upon my pillow. Hold your warm. No, that'll do. I can have a man to put my arm around another man's wife. <laughs> uh, what you do with another man's wife now is none of my business. But come here, you're going to need a permit if you're busking like that, okay? <laughs> Beautiful voice, in fairness. On Friday, Oliver Callan met Tommy Tiernan. But which Tommy will show up this morning? Will it be the, will it be the Tommy for the marquee, the, you know, the loud Tommy, or will it be the kind of quiet Tommy from, uh, from the chat show? Fast forward twenty minutes, he got his answer. It's still last night, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Is it? Why? What was last night? Well, it's just that uh, my, the shape of my day would be different when you're gigging at night. Yeah. You know, so uh, showtime is first thing in the morning. And now is lasting at night. So <laughs> I'll be heading for a snooze after this. Nighttime is first time in the morning. So do you kind of okay? So you're having breakfast then before the you have to be it? on. You have to be at your most fluent and coherent at nine o'clock in the evening. You have to yeah. be full of buzzes and uh, your mind has to be. All your synapses have to be firing mm-hmm. at that hour of the evening. So now I'm a bit sleepy. <laughs> so that's great. Um, as he inches a double espresso towards him. Now, believe it or not, this is the first time these two have met. Almost. This is the first so, time we met, although we did bump into uh, each other in an apple green once and it was kind of an embarrassed nod. 
Um, from I, I just think both of us are just from, from, from. Well, that's my <laughs> recollection. Uh, I think we uh, comedians do tend to hang out in, in Apple Greens a good bit. Is that fair to say? The ones that seem to be. No, I've kind of left that um, <laughs> scene. Uh, yeah, demograph behind. Uh, where do I hang on? I, I've I've uh, uh, moved on to lay boys. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, can you describe? You know? <laughs> can you describe the laybys? Because you know those kind of stony ones. No, you when you're driving on the motorway at night and you see two cars pulled into a layby, and you yeah, go, yeah. "What are they at?" Well, I'm usually in one of them cars just having a snooze. Um, uh, yeah, there's there, there's probably some kind of urban um, word for that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, of course there is. I was having a snooze guard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there's something very sleazy about even the word layby, isn't there? Just something very, yeah. I suppose years ago when we were going up, if a layby opened in the county, you'd go there on holiday. <laughs> Dad would pull yeah, in. Yeah, says, okay. Uh, and now they go on holidays to uh, the big petrol stations that have everything yeah. in it. Um, I remember one time I was doing a show somewhere in um, East Galway, and I can't remember exactly where it was. But the only way I knew of getting way of getting home was by going back onto the motorway. And mm-hmm. my way onto the motorway was the plaza, the new kind of. Uh, Supermax Plaza that's, Oh yeah. yeah And I s- said to this fella How do I get back Onto the motorway He says open the window And follow the smell of chips Now they talked about Walking to gigs Drinking Not drinking Playing small rooms Playing massive stadiums And Tommy's Recent tour in America He loved it, it The crowds were different In New York Boston and Chicago You're Talking to people who've been in the States for 30 or 40 years. Hardcore Irish Americans in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And there's an edge to them. Okay. Mm, mm. In Toronto, a bunch of lick arses. (laughs) (laughs) So it's completely different. In Toronto, it's the new, it's the young Irish who want to be successful. (laughs) And and they love the rules and control of America and Canada. (gasps) Oh, harsh. Now Oliver is about to tread the boards, darling. Tommy, an old hand. Big now, are you you're going board. acting soon? I I'm I've agreed to do this, um, and because you did a John B. Keane play, yeah, I did yeah. I'm the matchmaker in the Gaiety for okay. for five for five performances. Now you're going to have to age up. <laughs> Can you see? I'm trying to grow a sweet looking face. Can you see my <laughs> pathetic looking stubble? <laughs> No, you have, you have uh, to grey up. Well, you know, or some characters like, get haggard. I think because they were so yeah. desperate, they just said, "Oh no, he can do a couple of voices. Uh, we need that." Uh, don't standing don't for be talking yourself down now like that. <laughs> uh, the, I always find the, the key to acting mm-hmm. is uh, the size of the gesture. So we're all acting all the time, anyway. Yeah. You wake up in the morning and you're yourself for about twenty seconds, <laughs> and then you have to act like a husband, and then you have to act like a father. And then you have to, you know, act like whatever. Uh, and so with acting, I always think it's, it's the size of the gesture. So there are, for example, when you're acting on television, you should never under any circumstances move your eyebrows. <laughs> really? The best actors, they never, they never, they're still wow. from there up. Um, okay. Never. It's an excellent tip. But in the gaiety, if you're doing a John B. Keane show, oh, oh they'd be hopping. That I'd be big. That has to be big. Big arm gestures. And so if you get, the, I think that's, for me, it's always been the key. Just get the size of the gesture right. Eyebrows, one to remember. And then finally, a pithy wee description of the national broadcaster, prompted by his love of his good friend, Hector. There's nobody like him. Uh, and I think the podcast has been a kind of, I've always known that. 
but he wouldn't get an opportunity to tell the stories that he does on the podcast anywhere else. Yeah, he constricted it in a place yeah, like this. Yeah, and he's or- just, he's... Um, in RTE when he had the show. And RTE treated him very well. They cut him off at his prime, which is, you know, if they want to treat someone badly, you just keep giving them shows. This, Art, as a fella said to me, RTE <laughs> is a cross between the KGB and CIE. <laughs> and uh, is the chat show being renewed? <laughs> sure, who knows? KGB and CIE. <gasps> How very dare you. Well, that is it from this week's playback. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. We're the same as choosing. I will hold, build the scene, then a whole red maybe get the kind of boss dying.